Before we jump in, just a uh, reminder about the job fair next week. Uh, next Thursday, 1 to 5 in, in Barnes. Uh, there are going to be over 33 employers here from uh, different parts of the country, some coming in as far as uh, from D.C. And you could very well walk away with a job uh, upon graduation or even a summer job. This is not just for seniors. Um, anyone can go. Uh, they'll also be looking for interns and things like that. So please um, make a plan to, to do that. This is the first time we've done it. Um, Dr. Plating and the, their office has put a great deal of work into it. I think it'll be a great blessing. Um, I've had the flu the last week, and I'm mostly back. I'm like 90, probably 95% back. Um, but man, it's not fun. Um, it does force you to slow down. Um, and I slowed down a lot. Um, but as I slowed down, I got to reflect on some things and think about some things. And um, I don't know if you guys know how weird it is like to stand up in front of you and talk to you. Like I love it. It's super cool. But every once in a while, I have these like moments of like what an odd thing that God has called me to do and given me the privilege to just stand in front of a bunch of you. Some of you know me. Some of you don't know me. But to speak the words of God, to take on my lips his words, and to try to be faithful in communicating um, his truth and his scripture, um, it, it's a... Um, a unique task. And every once in a while, um, when I finish and pray and walk out of here, I feel like I absolutely choked. Um, it doesn't happen that often, um, but I have an overwhelming sense of um, embarrassment um, or uh, inadequacy. And it happened three weeks ago. It happened on parents' weekend, family weekend. Um, I felt like what I communicated wasn't clear and that it was off. And I didn't know exactly, like, I've had this feeling before it's happened. I've been doing this a long time, right? Um, and usually the key is if I'm not prepared, that's what happens. Um, but something different happened a few weeks ago. Uh, what ended up happening was I think I got up before you and I shared with you forensic truth, but not experiential truth. I was speaking, um, I think, I believe I was being faithful to the text and to the scripture, but it hadn't yet like really sat in on and penetrated my heart. So I was talking to you and I was preaching to you and I think I was being as faithful as I could be. But afterwards I knew that what I had preached had not been from here, it was way more from up here. So I got sick and I couldn't stop thinking about that passage, uh, Psalm 46. So. This morning, we're going to do something I haven't done before. I'm going to preach the exact same thing, the exact same text. Um, but it might be a little bit different this time. Um, I kind of like what we've been doing lately where we stand to read Scripture. So will you stand as we read Psalm 46? Psalm 46, and this is God's word. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. 
the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us. Thank you for inviting us into your presence. Uh, be with us now, we ask by your spirit and in Christ's name. Amen. So it's an, it's an awesome text. It's a beautiful psalm. I don't even remember how I started it last time. But the thing that I missed at, from the outset last time was what it's talking about. That this is a psalm that addresses where is God when the world is upside down and when your life has gone sideways? Like, where is he? In the midst of crazy, where is God? It starts off, and the psalmist tells us that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. I don't know about you, but I find that the most common question that arises when I look at pain is how God could allow pain to happen. I hear that actually a lot. When we talk about pain, suffering, tragedy, hypothetically, and we're not in the midst of it, the question that I think comes to the forefront more than any other is, how or why would God allow such thing to happen? And I think what happens um, often is a temptation that we fall into when we focus on the question of providence, the how could God allow it, why would God allow it, it can dictate how we function when our world actually does go sideways. I think it's a temptation to struggle with providence and miss presence. We don't doubt that the world's broken. We don't doubt that the world is fallen. We don't doubt that the world is groaning, awaiting redemption. And the groans that the world experiences, they're real. Because until the consummation when Christ returns, life will be marked by trial. We know that in our lives and the lives of the people around us, both for the man who does know God and for the man who doesn't know God. Dustin talked about it last week. He talked about the road for the believer is not comfort, but suffering. Suffering as a cross-bearer, as a follower of Jesus, when the world hates you, is one thing. But you also suffer as an image-bearer, an image-bearer in a world that is broken, fallen, world of sin and sickness and injustice that will impact your life. So the promise of the Lord is not freedom from suffering. We know that. Instead, it's a promise of refuge, a hiding place, a peace, a strength that is outside of us, that knows us, that invites us and calls us in. God. God is our only refuge and our only strength. And he as our refuge is every bit as real, even more so than this building that's protecting us right now from the wind and from the rain outside. And because God is the one who's our refuge, he's ever present in trouble, meaning that you are never, ever alone. But an interesting thing about refuge, as I thought about this, we say that God is our refuge, our ever-present strength in trouble. The thing about a refuge 
is that you have to move into the refuge. Uh, I showed a picture of uh, a friend of mine who, um, during a tornado in Andover, Kansas years ago, um, pulled her car over to the side of the road. So she pulls her car over to the side of the road, and there's a culvert down in the ditch where the water runs through. And it was a place of safety. And there were people down there calling, calling out to her like, hey, come on, come on, come on. The safety was there. The refuge was there. But she actually had to walk herself down or run herself down, as the case may have been, into the culvert. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The promise is there. God invites and calls. He is our refuge and our strength. But we have to be willing to walk into him as our refuge and our strength. Therefore, we will not fear. I'm thinking about fear and what does it mean when Scripture says that we won't fear. When you look at um, when God shows up, the initial reaction is fear. When the angels appeared to the shepherds um, and announced the coming and birth of the Messiah, you know, they're afraid. Spirit of God, the angel of God tells them, don't be afraid for you found favor with men. In the same way, we're here told, therefore, you will not fear because God is your refuge and your strength. And here's what I think it means and what it doesn't mean. When it says, therefore, fear not, therefore you will not fear, it doesn't mean that you won't be afraid. What it means instead is that you are to trust in the midst of your fear. And when you trust in the midst of fear, you find something comes that's unexpected. And that is a peace, a peace that you can't explain, a peace that you can't wrap your mind around. But trust in fear brings peace in fear. And peace that can't be explained in the midst of fear is fearing not. Does that make sense? It's not that you're no longer afraid of the things that can happen in the world. Like, you can fear things. But in the midst of that fear, trusting. And that trust brings peace. And peace in the midst of fear obliterates fear. It's a peace that transcends knowledge, a peace that transcends understanding. And you can experience peace because that is divine perspective. You're able to see that God is with you, that he is always with you, that he's always present, that he's your refuge. And with him, you can stand under any weight or against any sling that the devil or the world may cast at you. Any sling. I think about the things that would take me down, the things that I wouldn't be able to stand under, and I praise God that I haven't had to experience them. But I've watched friends of mine undergo the things that I've thought there's no way I could ever find peace in. And I've watched them pull into the Lord in the midst of unexpected horrific tragedy, unexpected horrific violence, unexpected horrific suffering. They pull into the Lord because they know that he is their only refuge, their only strength. And then you get this picture that the psalmist gives us of these two different lives, these two different states of heart that we can have as human beings in this world. 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, these contrasting pictures starts off with a picture of chaos and turmoil, mountains falling into the heart of the sea, waters roaring and foaming, mountains quaking. And it's literally, it's just a metaphor. It's a beautiful picture of what the world is like in the wreckage of the fall. It's a picture of lives apart from God, lives that don't find their refuge in the living God, where unexpected cataclysm happens. Think about the picture of that, mountains falling into the sea, where violence laps at our lives every single day, waters roaring and foaming, and where the constant threat of evil and tragedy surrounds us, the mountains quaking. And full exposure to that chaos, that is what life is like apart from the Savior. There's no refuge, there's no strength, and it is only you standing against those things. And they will, they will win. But then we get this contrasting picture of peace. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. And we begin with a river whose streams flow into a city and to the people. Like Aslan, the river, it's not safe. It's not tame but it fills the people with gladness. And most rivers have a source, you know, far off, a mountaintop. But the source of this river that brings gladness and peace, joy to the people, is God himself who lives in the city in the midst of the people. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, I was going to tell you a story. This is a cool story. Um, I spent a summer, a few weeks in a summer, uh, maybe five, six, seven years ago in Alaska, and uh, Alaska has some of the most beautiful rivers um, I've ever seen. Um, and they're mostly glacial rivers. Um, the Gulkana is this amazing, uh, rapid, fast-moving. We watched a moose swim across the Gulkana, um, which was crazy because it was, like, so fast. And the moose just, like, blew through it. But there's this river there called the Copper River. And the Copper River is a, um, again, it's a glacial river, but it's copper in color. Like, you look at it, and it's almost brown. Um, and it's almost brown because of the sediment that's churned up. And my buddy Nate said, oh, yeah, don't fall in the copper because you'll never come out. I'm like, really? He said, yeah, I mean, it's like 32 degrees. Um, but what happens is you fall in and the sediment gets in your clothes really quickly and just pulls you down. He said, so if you go in the copper, no one's coming in after you, and they'll throw you a life preserver, but um, you're probably not coming out. It's kind of like Alaska is kind of like that, like, just kind of hope like when you walk out your front door that you'll walk back in your front door at night. (laughs) There's lots of things that want to kill you and eat you. Um, I forget. It was in my notes, so somehow it ties into this. So rivers. Um, uh, but, But this river that we're talking about in Psalm 46, right, it brings life. It brings protection. It brings refuge. And when we think about rivers like that, um, think about Eden, and we think about consummation, and we think about the new heavens and the new earth, Eden, where the river flowed, sourced from the living God, fed and watered the land and the people, and then the new heavens and the new earth, the waters that spring from the throne of the living God to feed and bring joy to his people. So you have these cool rivers of, of life in creation, 
and in redemption. But Psalm 46 says, God doesn't leave us at those two extremes. He sits with us in the middle as well. His presence here with us now in the in-between, in the already and the not yet. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And it's so cool. Look how the psalmist does that. It starts with God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. God is the Lord Almighty, and he's with us. He's our refuge and our strength. He is the God of Jacob, the one who met Jacob face to face, who blessed him, protected him, the covenant God. And he's our fortress. He's an ever-present help in trouble. And then we're invited to come and see. All right, so here's the picture. This is a picture of life with and without. God is your refuge and your strength. Now come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done. Desolations he's brought on the earth. He's brought wars to eat to cease. Breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns shields with fire. Come and see who this God is. Come and see the astonishing things that he's done on the earth. Come and see what kind of God he is. He's a God who wants to end war. God who wants to disarm armies, to destroy defenses. He is the one who is able and he's worthy of being your refuge and my refuge. And then he says, in what I think is one of the most inviting and just thirst-filling passages in all of Scripture, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And you've got this amazing threefold nuanced invitation from God himself. First piece is to the unbeliever, the one who doesn't know him. Be still, desist, repent, and know that I am God. I'll be exalted in the nations, in the world, and I too can be your refuge. Come to me and know me and know that I am God. There are those of you in here who don't know him. This invitation is for you. Desist, be still, repent, come to him, know him. He is the only God and the only refuge. But then, another nuance. It's not just for the unbeliever, it's for the believer. The invitation to rest in knowing that he is God. He is the war-ending, source of gladness, constant presence, covenant God. Rest in the knowledge of who I am and what I've done. And then finally, and I think this is where my heart kind of longs, I long for this, is the invitation to be still. To quiet your heart, to quiet your mind, so that you can actually see so that you can actually know him. And I talked earlier about the difference between sort of the forensic and the experiential. This is the invitation to experiential, relational knowledge of the Lord. This is not the knowing about him. This is the knowing him. He says, be still. Quiet your heart, quiet your mind, that you might actually know me. That's what I wasn't doing three weeks ago. It's not that I wasn't sitting with the text. It's not that I wasn't working. 
I allowed my life to be swallowed by the immediate and the urgent. I allowed myself to be swallowed and to not be quiet and still before the Lord. So I was sitting way up here and I wasn't at all down here. Be still and know that I am God. A student was telling me a story yesterday. We were talking about this psalm and this topic and he said uh, he was sitting at a stoplight one time and he had the music in the car up really loud. Light turns green and he starts to go. And he pulls out, he sort of just peripherally realizes that no one else is going with him. And he's like, kind of like, wait, what, what's going on? He's doing everything right. Like, the light's green, he starts to go, and he gets halfway through the intersection, and a fire truck <laughs> flies by him. His music was so loud, he couldn't hear the fire truck. And I feel like that's how a lot of times we live our lives. I know it's a lot of times how I live my life. I've got the music so loud that I can't hear, can't see. I'm not quiet. I'm not still. My relationship is a lot more about knowing things about God than sitting with God. But that's not what he invites us to. He invites us to be still, slow down, be quiet, quiet your heart quiet your mind, and know me. And when you know him, you will know that he is God. You'll know that he is exalted in the nations and the earth. So where is the Lord when you're upside down? Where is the Lord when you realize the world's crazy? Where is the world when your life personally goes sideways? He's right there. He's right there with you, inviting you, calling you, into his presence. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, we'll close with this. Um, the more I thought about the psalm, realized it just drives us to the Savior, right? It drives us to the cross because all of this is made possible more intimately, I think, than the psalmist ever imagined. When Jesus came and died, and rose again on our behalf. You think about this. It was Jesus who was rejected so that we might have refuge in him. He suffered at our hands so that he might be our strength in trouble. He was forsaken that he might become our fortress. He hung alone on a tree that we might never be alone. God is your refuge and your strength is not asking you to imagine something that is not real. Instead, it's inviting you into a truth that is greater than we possibly imagine. It means that you're never alone. It means that you don't have to be strong because you're called by the creator and you're loved by the savior. Amen? Let's pray. <coughs> Our gracious God and King, thank you, Father, for giving us the ability to slow down. Thank you that it sometimes comes in unexpected ways, be it the flu, um, be it sickness, be it sadness. But I pray, Father, that you will, by your Spirit, call us to slow down, call us to quiet our hearts and our minds, Call us to be still, that we might know you, 
that we might know that you're God and that we might find you as our only refuge and our only strength. Father, help us not to be overwhelmed by the trials and struggles, tragedies and chaos of the world. Help us not focus on questions of why, but instead, Lord, help us rest in your presence, in your promises, in your invitation. Please, Lord, be our refuge. Please be our strength. Help us walk into your arms always that you might be our ever-present help in all struggles. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thanks for this privilege to be together, to worship you, uh, to be in your presence, be in one another's presence. And thank you for this place. Lord, I pray that you will bless everyone here. I pray, Lord, that you will help the hurting. You'll encourage those who are struggling. And I pray that you will be knitting us together closer as a community. Please be with us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.